and then says, but we'll see here that there are enemies out to destroy David. And so we'll look at that. And then he has given this to the choir master. So we know that this is a song to be sung. It's a song of God's greatness and what it means for our lives and how we live that out. And so that's what we'll be looking at today. So let's pray and then we'll read Psalm 11. Father God, your word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. So Father, through the preaching of your word this morning, may it pierce to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow. May your word discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Would you transform us more into the likeness of Christ by the power of your spirit. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So Psalm 11, we'll read through it as we begin here. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in the heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on their wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. So here, right at the beginning of the psalm here, we see David's refuge, right? David's refuge. In the Lord, I take refuge. The word Lord here is Yahweh in Hebrew. This is the proper name for the God of Israel. And David declares that he takes refuge in the Lord. He has put his trust and his confidence in Yahweh. The Lord is his place of safety and security. As you read through the psalm, you see this multiple times where David says this, that his refuge is in the Lord, or he takes refuge in the Lord. And so for David, this isn't just a thought in the moment that he writes down. This is a way of life for him. This is part of who he he is. It's a characteristic of David, that his safety, his security, his refuge is in the Lord. So he's committed to God, to living according to his ways, no matter what the circumstances of life happening around him, he goes to the Lord in everything. As you read David's Psalms, the Psalms that he has written, we see this again and again and again. He's being pursued. People are out to kill him. They're out to destroy him. They're out to destroy the nation of Israel. And he comes to the Lord. His safety, his security, his place of refuge is in the Lord. And so let me ask you a question of application right off the bat. Is the Lord Jesus Christ your refuge? Is he the one you look to and cling to? When the storms of life hit, is he your shelter? When chaos surrounds you, is he your peace? When trials come, is he your strength? When enemies line up against you, is he your defense? David says, in the Lord I take refuge. Make the Lord your refuge in all things. 
So the Lord is David's refuge, but he's given some He's been given some despairing advice here that we read, continuing verses 1 through 3. This despairing advice, flee to the mountains, right? The the wicked are coming after you. Foundations could be destroyed, all right? This is an argument that's being presented to David here, right? The argument given to him is the wicked are on the attack. They want to take God down. They want to take you as his leader down. They want to take his people down in all of God's ways. There's nothing you can do about it. You're not going to stop it. So just stay out of the way. Leave it alone. Do you see that type of reasoning happening in our world today? Just about everywhere you turn, right? As we sang about it, as we prayed about it already this morning, God's kingdom is under attack but we're told to just be quiet and stay out of it, right? Mind your own business. Just let us do what we want to do. So this is the advice, the poor advice that has come to David, presumably from some who were close to him, some of his advisors. We see that it's coming from people who are faint of heart, right? They're despairing. They've lost hope in Almighty God. They aren't considering God's great power to do whatever he wants. They aren't seeing Jesus as Lord over everything. Now, we don't want to lighten the, the threat here. There, there was a real threat here, right? There was a threat against David's life. We see here there was bow and arrow ready to be shot. There's an ambush being set up. This was taking place in the dark. It was very dark and deceptive, Whatever these circumstances was, were, there was a plot to replace God's rule and his law, to overtake. And we see that this was all coming about through the wicked. So who are the wicked? Well, as we said, we don't know specifically in this psalm. It might have been Absalom, David's son. But we don't know for sure individually in this case. But when the Bible talks about the wicked, it's referring to those who are filled with evil and are hostile to God and his people. These are unbelievers, those who do not follow God. These are wicked people intent on rebellion against God, on opposing him, opposing God and his kingdom and his ways. So these are the types of people, these are the people who are coming against David. Now in opposition to the wicked, we see here, the upright, end of verse 2. We see the righteous in verse 3. So who are they? Well, the wording here indicates a straightness. Those who are morally straight, morally innocent. So these are God's people. Not people who are perfect, but those who seek God and live according to his ways. So we have the wicked and we have the righteous. And so the advice given here to David in the midst of this real and legitimate threat is, let's just run away and hide. Get out of town. Right? That's common in our day. It's common within the church, big church, right? Don't cause waves. Just be nice to people. Stay out of their business. Let them do their thing. David, just run away and hide. Get out, get out of there. 
stay away from the threat. The threat is too great. won't make a difference anyway. Right? And so David, in the midst of this advice, stands up to that. Right? Verse 1, he says, How can you say this to my soul? Right? How can you tell me to flee when I have the Lord as my refuge? Why would I leave when I have such a strong foundation in God? This is his argument against this fateful advice that he's been given. So as we think about that for us today, again, we have the same legitimate threat for us today. Again, we sang about it. We prayed about it already. It's in this psalm here, right? There's a real threat against God's people and against God's kingdom. It's happening all over the world. It's happening in our community. We're under attack. Now, I don't say that to over-dramatize it, but you need to know the reality. We need to see the reality. We need to acknowledge that reality. There are wicked, evil people against God, opposed to him, and opposed to his people, opposed to the church. And so we are in a fight in this world for God's kingdom, for his glory in this world. We're in a fight for the good of God's people. Not only those here today, but those coming after us. And so what do we do? Right? What would David have us do? Right? You don't run from the fight. You don't run from the fight, but you recognize that you have a refuge in the midst of the battle. Right? The Lord Jesus himself. You don't flee to the mountains. You don't go into hiding. You don't duck out of the game. Right? You have a refuge in the midst of the fight. You have a place of safety and security and strength. The Lord Jesus Christ is all of these things for us. Now, it doesn't mean you won't be wounded. Right? There are wounds in battle. You might be wounded. Most likely you will be. Right? But you don't retreat. You don't back away. You don't go into hiding. Men, we just had an advancement conference, right? The idea behind calling it that was that we don't retreat, this concept. We don't fall back. We don't go into hiding. When we're facing adversity to God's kingdom, we push forward. We advance his kingdom in this world, in our homes, and in our jobs, and in our government, and in all areas that we can touch. We advance his kingdom. We push forward. And when we do that, we do it because we have a strong refuge in Christ. All right? That's why we have the ability to do this, because of Christ. Because he is our strong refuge. Because he's indwelt us with his spirit, giving us power to do these things. To stand up in the face of adversity. To stand up for what is true and right in this world. So that's what we're singing about here. In Psalm 11, right? We will not hide. We will not retreat. But we will stand our ground and fight for God's glory and the good of his people. So next we see some of David's reasons for standing strong as we continue. Verse 4, right? And beyond. Uh, David here is a good leader in this instance, David is a good leader in that he rejects the bad advice and he gives his people a song to sing, a song of confidence to sing going forward. And so he's a good leader here. Again, where does that confidence lie? The confidence lies in the Lord, our refuge, 
right? And so we sing about that. We sing about Christ being the church's one foundation, the one that we can stand on and take refuge in. So look at what David says to be true here in verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. In other words, we're not going to flee. We're not going to give up because the Lord reigns, right? The Lord rules. He's in control of everything. Therefore, his ways should be followed above all else. And that's where we're going to take our stand. And so David gives us two visuals here, right? First, we see the temple, the temple pictures for us God's presence with his people. Right? Think about the Old Testament temple. It was a place where God would manifest himself. He would make himself known. Right? Pillar of fire, pillar of cloud in the temple, in the holy of holies, the most holy place. God would make his presence known among his people. So when we read that the Lord is in his holy temple, it's not just somewhere far out there. But it is right here. The Lord is present with his people. That's what it means that God is, the Lord is in his holy temple. He is present with his people. So we see the temple. Second thing we see here is the throne. Right? The throne in heaven. The throne in heaven pictures for us God's rule, his reign, his kingship, his lordship. So there is nothing powerful enough to knock Christ off of his throne. It won't happen. So when you face trials of life, when that adversity comes, when you are persecuted because of your faith and your stand for Christ, Jesus is still on the throne. He's still in control. He still rules over all. And nothing will ever change that. Isn't that great? That's not just for today. It's forever and ever and all of eternity. Jesus Christ is on the throne, ruling and reigning over all things. That's a place of refuge. That's a place of safety and security, right? It's not a president who will elect a new one in a few years. It's not an emperor who will one day die and they have to figure out how to get somebody else in. This is a king. This is a Lord who rules and reigns over all things forever and ever. Glory. That's why he can be trusted as a refuge at all times. In verse 3, we see here again part of this argument that's being given to David. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So the threat of verse 3 here, the foundations of, of being destroyed, this is a threat against God's rule and God's law. This is the threat of, against his ways, right? And so the argument put forward to David here is God's ways are going to be destroyed. They're going to be gone. This is a false threat, right? This is a false threat. It's not realistic. It's not going to happen because Jesus is in charge. But the wicked here miss this, right? They either aren't comprehending it or they're just completely rebelling against it, right? They're in rebellion thinking, if only I can somehow knock Christ off the throne, then I can be Lord, 
right? If Jesus isn't in control, then I can do whatever I want. I can be Lord. If I can shut down those Christians so they're quiet and stay to themselves, and there's no one to call me out on my sin, and I can do what I want. Do you know where the wicked unbelievers get that from? Their father, the devil. I know that sounds harsh, but it's the truth. Jesus said it in, in Gospel of John. This is Satan's whole mindset, right? He's out to destroy the kingdom of God so that he can rule, that he can reign, and he can be in charge. So do you know why the wicked unbelievers pursue that goal? Because it's within them, right? It's their nature in Adam. Now, lest we get too far down the road of self-righteousness, let's remember the difference between ourselves as followers of Christ and those who are wicked unbelievers apart from Christ. There's only one difference, and that's God's mercy to us in Christ Jesus. It's not because we're deserving. It's not because we're good enough. It's not because we're better than others. It's simply God's mercy towards us. God has chosen to save us. Galatians 2.16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. 2 Timothy 1.9, God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, because of his own purpose and grace. Titus 3.5, he saved us, not because of our works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. And now that God has saved you, he is now sanctifying you in order that his kingdom will come first in you. First within you that the Lord Jesus might rule and reign within you first in your life in every way. That's God's kingdom coming. And then you go out and fight for it in other places. So when you know that God has saved you for his own purpose, you know that the Lord Jesus is with you, you know that he rules and reigns from his throne in heaven, then you can take refuge in him. You can trust him. So this should lead to tremendous peace and joy in your life. It should bring a lot of gladness. It should give you great strength, great spiritual strength to continue living in this world. Again, there are hard, th- hard things that we face. That's part of the reality of this world, this sin-cursed world. And we'll get to Psalms of Lament this summer. Psalm 13 especially will teach us how to lament. We can lament properly in Psalm 13 when we know the truths of Psalm 11. We can lament properly when we know that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is in his holy temple, that he is seated on his throne in heaven. That's why we can take refuge in him. That's why we can lament over the things of this world. We lament in faith. 
So then David continues on here in verse 4. At verse 4, he says, His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous. So the Lord sees all things, and he tests the hearts of men. This word test means to examine, to search through and through, to learn the genuineness of something. And so here the Lord tests your faith. Right? Will you retreat or will you advance? How will you, how will this generation handle the opposition to God's kingdom? Are you going to abandon the Lord and flee to a safe, cozy spot? Or are you going to fight for God's glory in this world? This testing is for your good. It's that you might be strengthened, that you might be built up in faith as you see yourself taking refuge in Christ, as you see others taking refuge in Christ and continuing this fight. It's a strengthening of our faith. So then we see that the Lord hates. Wait a minute. I thought God was supposed to be a God of love. Yes, he is. But he's also a God who hates. He hates those who are against his kingdom and against his people. He hates those who are opposed to his will and his working in this world. Why? Why does God hate? hate. Well, because he's holy. He is holy, holy, holy. He is righteous and he has no love for evil. Let me give you an example. Fourth of July, Independence Day, right? We celebrate our freedom, our freedom to be independent. Let's say that there's a country who began attacking the United States. And they use every tactic to try to destroy us. They use military attacks. They use technological attacks. They use propaganda to turn other countries against us. They use propaganda to turn U.S. citizens against one another, to have infighting. And they did this all so that they could take control of our country and have their way with us. Should we just be nice and let them have their way? We don't want to hurt you, so go ahead and do what you want to do. If it causes us harm, if it causes harm to those we love, that's okay. We just want to be nice. Don't want to hurt you, certainly don't want to offend you. If that happened, our country would be taken over and utterly destroyed. So if this came against us, what would we do? What would happen? Well, we would hate that enemy. Right? We would hate what they were doing against us. And we would stand up and we'd fight against them. So listen, brothers, listen, sisters. This is the spiritual attack that's happening right now against God's kingdom. This is it. The spiritual attack happening against God, against his kingdom, against his people. Satan and all the powers of darkness are out to destroy God's kingdom. And included among those coming against God are the wicked, unbelieving people living on earth right now. 
that's part of the reality. They want to destroy all worship of God. They're coming after you, your children, your grandchildren. And they won't stop just because you're nice to them. The reason they won't stop is because they have the power of hell behind them. That's their strength. But, but the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. And in the Lord we take refuge. They may have the power of hell behind them, but we have the power of Almighty God behind us. Amen. He is our strength, right? And because David knows the Lord's hatred, he calls on God for judgment, right? He calls for coals and fire and sulfur and a scorching wind. He's calling God to bring calamity upon the wicked. He's calling on God to carry, his, carry out his wrath, his righteous anger and punishment against the wicked. The portion of their cup that David talks about is what God will give them. This is not a portion of blessing, but it's a portion of wrath and judgment. Now, we have to be reminded that we too are deserving of this cup of wrath, right? Because we too were in sin, in Adam. But in an act of God's mercy, he gave your cup to Jesus to drink down. Right? Remember Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane? Father, as he's sweating blood in agony, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Let this cup of your wrath, let this cup of your judgment for the sin of mankind pass from me. But the Father said, no, it's for you. And so Jesus drank it down at the cross. Every last drop of God's wrath for your sin, Jesus drank it down. So in verse 6 here, David is praying as a prayer calling for God to act in his wrath. So I wonder, do you pray like that? Do you pray like that? Is this part of your prayer repertoire, so to speak? Do you pray for God to destroy those who are infiltrating our schools with gender nonsense? Do you pray for God to bring justice on those who support the killing of babies inside and now even outside of their, of their mother's womb? Do you pray for God to punish those who make millions of dollars in the pornography and sex slave industry? Do you pray for God's wrathful vengeance upon those out to destroy his kingdom? This is not nice. This is a fight. Do you battle, do you go to battle in prayer like that? It's okay to be mad with righteous anger and righteous hatred. It's okay to stand up and fight for God's glory and all these things. 
Lastly, in verse 7, we see David's assurance. What does he say here? Verse 7, for the Lord is righteous. So this is who he is. This is his character. He is the definition of righteousness. All that he is and all that he does in testing man and bringing wrath upon the wicked is righteous. So if you want to live righteously, look to Christ. Look to the Lord. Look to his life, to his example, and to his teaching. The Lord is righteous. Secondly, he loves righteous deeds. Why? Because he is righteous. And so he loves righteous deeds. This is what God has called you to. He's called you to righteous deeds. Once he's saved you, he's called you to righteous deeds. He's called you to good works. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And some of those good works involve a fight to advance God's kingdom in this world. And we have this happening with people within our church. I want to give you a a few examples. First, Jim Winkler. Jim has involved himself in local politics, right? at times with the school board, at times with the county board, at times with the town board. And part of his goal there is to fight for God's kingdom in our community, to protect and to bless God's people, to work towards policy that would allow for religious freedom. Jim has mentioned many times the need for more Christians to get involved and run for office. So talk to Jim if you have any interest in that. But good work, Jim. Keep it up. Way to go. Terry Fries. Terry has recently gotten involved with the school regarding some of the ungodly policy that they are forcing into place. He's voiced concern for students, especially Christian students, and the risk these policies put on them. Good work, Terry. Keep it up. Jess Touche. Jess has given up a pharmacy career to work for a company that sells product to help keep women out of the sex slave industry. In her business, she brings in money to provide women with jobs so they can build self-respect and have a chance to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. So good work, Jess. Keep it up. There are many others. Many of you are doing this in some way or another. So my intention is not to leave people out, but to give you a few examples of what can be done. All right? There is good work to be done in the fight for God's kingdom. Now understand, if you engage in ways such as these, you're likely to face criticism privately as well as publicly. People say nasty things about you. They did against David. They will against you. Your name will get printed in the newspaper. People won't like you very much. But know this. Know this. God sees your good works. He sees your righteous deeds, and he loves them. He loves them. He rejoices over you. That's good work, my child. Keep it up. So the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. And then 
uh, he notes your great reward here. There's a great reward for this good work. The upright shall behold his face. <laughs> you shall see God. Wow. Now this is referring to the current spiritual presence of Jesus in your life. This is knowing that Christ is with you. This is knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection in the here and now. But it's also a view toward eternity. In Revelation 22.4, when you shall see his face visually, literally before you. A time when your faith will be turned to sight forevermore. This is a promise of God's presence and his greatest blessing to his people. And it will be your ultimate reward. God is a God who rewards. His greatest reward is to give you his son, Jesus Christ, the Lord. So a few points of application as we wrap up here. First one, take refuge in the Lord Jesus Christ. Take refuge in him. Make him your refuge. Give yourself to him in faith. Trust him completely in all things. But the Lord be your confidence. Secondly, fight for God's kingdom and glory. Fight. We are tempted to flee from the fight, right? We don't like conflict. We don't like a fight. We're tempted to flee. But God calls you to stand up and fight for his kingdom and his glory. The opportunities are there. They abound. Where would God have you get involved to advance his kingdom? Lastly, live with a joyful view of eternity. Dolan, you want to click that for me? Live with a joyful view of eternity. There is coming a day of great reward for those who have faith in Jesus. Look to that day. Let that day motivate you. Keep that in mind as you labor in this world in good works and righteous deeds. Have joy in the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we do worship you. We rejoice that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is in his holy temple, that his throne is in heaven. Glory to you, God. Thank you that we are not lost and left to ourselves, but we have a strong and sure refuge in the Lord Jesus Christ. God, help us to continue looking to him, seeking him, finding strength in him, and God, give us strength to fight this battle, to advance your kingdom in this world to the glory of your name and for the good of your people. Praise to you in Jesus' name. Amen. The charge for this morning, God's kingdom is under attack. So ask God to show you one way that you can be involved in advancing his kingdom. And as you do that, then take action and do it to God's glory. May God grant you endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Amen. Enjoy your day.